Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. It is Wednesday, every Wednesday, even in 2022. J.C. Cole joining us from somewhere in an undisclosed location, central New Jersey. Happy New Year, J.C. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Trent. Happy New Year to you also. You know, I feel like we haven't spoken in over a year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have had uh, several things happen already in the last week. We saw nearly, I don't know, reported 600 plus homes burn in Colorado. Um, I don't know the details, but last night about 22 miles from my house there must have been a pretty significant fire and a 50 mile an hour wind fire and wind are dangerous combinations what have you been up to this year they are and that that's just one good reason to um be prepared because unfortunately you know we may have to exit the house with only five minutes notice um so you you better have stuff organized or a plan um so, so meanwhile this is information from Chuck Miller usually credible <laughs> Chuck Miller Brush Colorado he called me to tell me that the 911 folks in the Colorado area of the fire got a tremendous number of calls I don't know that it was the most prominent phone call but you know in, in the case of a fire it only makes sense that the power company would turn the electricity off right There apparently were a number of people in their vehicles after they were told to evacuate, which I think was like 50,000 people evacuated from their homes. And they were calling 911 because they didn't know how to get out of the garage. There was no electricity to run their automatic garage opener. This This might be a person not prepared for what's coming, JC. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those where they might have had one of those smart houses. Right. <laughs> right. That's not so yeah. smart to have. Yeah. Well, the smarter your house becomes, the more stupid you are. How's that? Yes. It's the dumbing down of the uh, society. Yeah. Right. They do know that on all those electric uh, garage openers, there's a, uh, there's a Disable. safety um, uh, valve that uh, disables it and you can, I know this is going to be a shocker. You can lift it by hand. <laughs> so clearly, JC, if they're sitting in their garage calling 911 that they can't get out, the answer to your question would be, no, they don't know that. Yes. Yeah. Which is, um, which is again, it comes back to some of those basics of know your equipment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, we feel for you that... I mean, 600 yeah. people don't have a home. That, losing my home is not – it's pretty low on the priority list. I, I mean, that's just about as bad as, as – there's worse things, but that's about as bad as it gets. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. Um, not only your, your home, but all your memories, everything. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Your uh, collection of 1,500 Russian – tree ornaments would be up in smoke that's that's uh just the um that's just the uh, russian side 
<laughs> All right. So the other bit of homework you gave me, I have uh, asked Andrew Henderson this morning why Victoria Station was closed, and he he did, was really kind of foggy on it. He did some searching and found that they are reporting Victoria Station, which is apparently a tr- a tube, which is what they call the trains in London, is closed due to COVID. That's what he was told, but that's what he found. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That um, that makes uh, kind of like no sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, yeah. That uh, Victoria Station is probably the, the main uh, train station in in London, and so London being you know a financial capital of Europe, um, you just don't close those things. That's like closing Grand Central Station because of the coal. Um, you know, it just doesn't happen. Something else is up. And and I think we're going to get a lot of that this year. Looks like um, they started right off the bat. Um, just strange things. And then they give you, um, you know, the because frame, which because of uh, fill in the blanks. Um, yeah, so so we'll see a lot of, of that. And people need to, you know, just have some discernible thinking and, and, and big, you know, say, wait, this doesn't make sense. You know, that goes all the way back to like JFK and his assassination yeah. by one guy with a rifle that you couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with. You know, and anybody who had uh, said, wait, that doesn't make sense. They were instantly labeled as conspiracy theorists. That's where it came from. Well, furthermore, <clears throat> remember how the UK is so adamantly about um, getting jabbed? So there should yeah. really be no issue. And I know that that jabbing percentage in London is significantly higher than out in the country where Andrew lives. So there should be no issues with COVID whatsoever. I agree. Hmm. Seems that seems there's an issue. Yeah. <laughs> yes, things that make you go, hmm. Yeah, yes. As long as they're not bumps in the night. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't know that we should explore bumps in the night on this program real deep. Oh, no, no. We have enough. We have enough rabbit holes. Thank you. Right. So I have to, I have to make a a correction. Oh, okay. All right. January 6th, you know, I'd said is, is a Russian Christmas. It's actually Russian Christmas Eve when the Russians celebrate. January the seventh is the is the oh, really? uh, Orthodox Christmas. Yeah, so that's just one of those that you have to do your own homework to even listen to what we're saying. And, and <laughs> well, I always promote that. Don't take what I say for gospel. Verify it. Look it up. But I did, as a result of that conversation last week, my dear friend James Hofer from Manitoba sent me a note. Uh, he's a member of the Hutterite Church. Uh, the Hutterite colony, and um, he told me that they still celebrate January 6th in their church. Yeah. You know, and, and I, again, it's going to come back to, you know, why did they, uh, why did the Pope uh, Julian uh, change the calendar? Um, because they went to a more inaccurate calendar. Oh, I don't know. A few hundred years ago. But um, so why'd they change it? Mm-hmm. And I, I get the feeling we're going to find out. <laughs> Yeah. So, so um, hey, listen. After um, <clears throat> after the dismal history um, 
quiz last week. You mean my performance? Are you talking about my performance? Yeah, I was hinting at it. Right. <laughs> yeah, not not knowing that you know Washington crossed the Delaware on Christmas, um, you know, the December twenty fifth. Um, of course, I'm I'm that's only twenty miles from me. Okay, ask me awesome. a meat packing question. Don't ask me a Washington question. I'll get a meat packing question. Well, no, no. What what comes up is now. Um, so so, what happened? January the 3rd, just nine days after uh, the Battle of Trenton in 1777, so just nine days after, in Princeton, New Jersey. A new university was formed? No, it's actually (laughs) older than that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is it really? Princeton University is older than 1777? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'll but um, it was the Battle of Princeton where Washington did the same thing. He, he uh, Cornwallis responded after um, Washington uh, defeated the Hessians and sent troops from New York to uh, to Trenton, and Washington scooted around them to Princeton and defeated the British. So he had two wins in a row in just mm-hmm. under two weeks. So wasn't that Christmas Day, uh, Washington miracle? Isn't that the the time when he's we see the picture most commonly, where he's like on the bow of the ship crossing the river? Correct. Isn't that the Correct. picture? That that's the picture. It was Christmas. It was Christmas night. Yeah, and actually behind me, although uh, is a the Battle of Princeton. Oh, my great great grandfather painted it in eight. 1850 um, um, from whatever historical research he did. Wow. Yeah, so there's an original. That's incredible. Of the, the Battle of Princeton. You, you just continue to give reasons for people to invade your home. J.C. Cole, my guest, that's why I say somewhere in an undisclosed location in central New Jersey, I want to remind you that Protect the Harvest, hey, if you did not follow up on the Ryan Weaver Salute to heroes, and obviously J.C. Cole today is talking about heroes, but this video that's up on the homepage of Protect the Harvest, it gave me chills like nothing I've seen, I don't know, ever, maybe. It's outstanding. And Protect the Harvest is not about showing you videos, it's about getting you information. It just so happens they have this video celebrating everything American and the resilience of people. Go check it out. When you're getting your information about how to fight for your property rights at protecttheharvest.com, we're back with more J.C. Cole after this. Welcome back. Paul Route, Trent Lewis, alongside J.C. Cole, who every week brings us some tremendous facet of his Cole family history. <clears throat> Excuse me, J.C., I just made the assumption that that grandfather was a Cole. He might, you know, there's a 75% chance he wasn't. Well, he, he actually um, wasn't. He was on uh, my mother's side. There you go, uh, see? Yeah, so, um, yeah, he was a, a shaft. So he actually painted that himself. He was a, an artist. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, but that wasn't his main uh, um, uh, trade. But, yeah, see, uh, um, he uh, painted it himself. We have two. We have the Battle of Princeton and the Battle of Monmouth um, from, yeah, the 1850s. 
So Well, I'm going to start asking you trivia questions from uh, paintings in my house of actual events throughout the course of history. Because you mm-hmm. get a daily reminder by looking at that wonderful painting. Yes. Yes. Right. So I got another trivia question, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Okay. I'm ready. All right. So January the 4th, 1847. Right. What, uh, what uh, contract with the United States government happened that kind of changed um, uh, the way we, uh, uh, our supplies, you might say. Mm, this has got to be a transcontinental railroad discussion. Well, yeah, this one was a little bit tough, but no, Samuel Colt sells his oh. first revolver oh. pistol to the United States government. So, you know, Colt, I, yeah. actually, I actually um, know some history about this, although I didn't know the day. You know what the motivating factor was? What's that? The army, the cavalry was out trying to uh, keep Indians at bay. And they were telling their leaders they could not reload their muskets horseback. They needed something they could just continue to shoot and reload horseback. And so that was why the Colt was developed to sell to the army. Right. And so what, what, what was uh, uh, Samuel or the great quote about Samuel Colt? No, no. God created men, but Sam Colt made them equal. <laughs> yeah. Right? Which, yeah. And then what he, he actually had a quote himself. The good people of the world are very far from being satisfied with each other. And my arms are their best peacemakers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which if you think about it, in the That's second amendment, story. there's an awful, awful lot of truth there. That's a true story. I love that quote. Yeah. It yeah. is about peace. Right. It's about keeping peace. You know, right. an armed an armed society is a polite society. You reckon there's any motivation behind that to disarm us? Just theorizing. I I think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Shocker. Right. Right. But um, there was another, you know, I was looking over the history and there was another thing that I think is particularly important. And um, that was January the 5th. And and I didn't even know about this. January the 5th, 1709 in Europe and France was the Great Frost of 1709. If you look it up, you'll find it. That during, during the winter of 1709, an extreme cold snap occurred in Europe. And it remains the coldest European winter in the past 500 years. It was recorded down to, in Paris, uh, minus 13 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and it lasted for, oh, maybe 10, 10 days. And what ended up happening were, was um, about 600,000 people uh, in France died, which is about 3% of the population um, from the cold snap. and that um, the barns, the animals were dying because the barns, they uh, couldn't keep them warm enough and they just froze to death. And then, of course, then it went to um, the trees and and, um, and uh, the fruit uh, trees all froze and uh, created basically um, part of a famine. 
right? Uh, it was it was horrific. And of course, at that time, they didn't have um, wood wood stoves. They just had fireplaces, which is a very inefficient way to heat. Um, but here's here's why it's significant. Modern uh, climatologists have been unable to explain the causes of the winter, but have noted that it took place during a phase called the Maunder Minimum, when unusually low sunspot activity was recorded. And what are we going into? We're going into the eddy minimum. And what do we keep on talking about? That climate uh, climate change being um, not caused by our... But rather our cyclical. Energy. Yeah, that it's, it's related to the sun. That big fiery ball in the sky that the... Um, <clears throat> that the uh, politicians can't seem to recognize as being the source of, of our heat. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's that they can't recognize it. It's clear that they don't want to recognize it, that it, it gets in the way of what they want to accomplish in terms of control. Correct. Correct. They, yeah. you know, if they, I mean, that, they, that, was, that, was, that was the whole premise behind the nonsense this week coming out of the White House and the meatpacking roundtable, which has occupied every ounce of my thought process since that day or this week. And uh, th- that is a hundred percent about another measure of controlling the food system. And that's why this whole climate change thing gets in the way is because they, they just want to control the food system and they use climate change as an excuse. It's their tool. Yes, Absolutely. And they keep on pushing, trying to get um, uh, the signature for the Kyoto Protocol of the UN. Yeah, of the UN, which will put control of water and energy Mm. in um, under the UN. And of course, the UN is controlled by, you know, a couple of bloodlines, so that they can control. Pretty much everything, which I, you had brought up, I think, yesterday uh, with Jay and Andrew, a cashless society. Well, if you, in order to have a cashless society, you have to run it um, basically on a computer chip. And if they can control the computer chip, then they can turn off your cash at any time or your ability to buy something. There's an incredible... Uh, interview done by Aaron Russo uh, on um, on YouTube. You can find it um, where Alex Jones interviewed him all, uh, I think about 20 years ago. Oh, and really? he said Rock- Rockefeller himself told him. You know, um, Jay Rockefeller, the son of David, told him, you know, it's, you know, that this is to control the people. Get that, get that chip in there. And and they put it in your hands or or oh I did you see that I saw that five is it where is it in the like Netherlands or Denmark Sweden Sweden where they now have over five percent of the people who literally have a chip in their hand yeah that's um that's in Sweden and that um, you know they think this this you know again this is the uh, smart chip for the dumb people. Right. Oh, I can just carry my chip. I don't have to worry about my wallet. I don't have to worry about keys. I don't have to worry about 
any of those things. Right. You know, yeah, you, the only thing you have to worry about is a totalitarian government turning off your chip. <laughs> Again, <laughs> it, we, we come back to the same story. Yes. I can't get my garage door open. Right. Wait, wait till it controls everything, your bank account, yeah. your food, your refrigerator. <laughs> well, if you listen to yesterday's Rural Route, you also know that I have something more powerful than a George Washington dollar bill. Okay. Pork bellies. I got bacon. Oh, right. I can yeah, I can trade bacon bellies. for anything. Right. Right. <clears throat> Um, yes. <laughs> I'm going to let JC ponder that for a moment because I'm not sure he's completely convinced. I think bacon is better than silver. I'm just saying. I'm not sure. We'll find out. I guess it depends on what nationality I'm trading with, doesn't it? Uh, we will. <laughs> we will take a break. Back with the second half of Roll Rod after this. And now we talk about immune health. We talk about health in general. The world's authority on nitric oxide production. Dr. Nathan Bryan explains. We've got about 14 COVID clinics around the U.S. where we have a a nitric oxide drug trial going on. I'm exposed to COVID probably every day. You know, pre-COVID, we as humans are exposed to viruses and bacteria every day of our life. That's just the world we live in. Some people get sick, some people don't. Why do some people get sick and why do others not? It all boils down to their ability to generate nitric oxide and to have certain things replete in their body like vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, selenium. If you're nutrient deficient, you're going to get sick. If you can't make nitric oxide, you're going to get sick. If you do all these things, you can be exposed to to COVID or any other virus, and your immune system nips it in the bud, and you don't get sick from it. It's really that simple. For full details about the science and to place an order, go to no2u.com. That's no, number two, letter u, dot com. Put Trent. Trent is your coupon code. That gets you a 10% discount plus free shipping. no2u.com. Trent, coupon code. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Trent Luce alongside J.C. Cole. When are you coming uh, to the Great Plains to see us, J.C.? That's what I want to know. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying. (laughs) You don't need a vaccine passport to get in Nebraska. You know that, right? No, it's just maybe I would to get back into New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) True story. I never thought about that. Right. Right. By the way, pork bellies are really tough to carry around in your pocket. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> well, if you have enough silver, it's tough, too. Uh, yes, but it, but it's a bit of more of a smile. <laughs> you know right. what my dad always said? It's the tough things in life that really pay off, Trent. So right. carrying pork bellies is going to pay off. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're we're, again, we're getting to see extremes in weather both both in heat and cold and uh let's say uh this week um what almost 75 inches of snow um smashed one of the uh, alaska national park records that's a lot of snow mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and, uh, i was actually and, in reno one weekend i flew in to speak for a, a weekend conference <clears throat> it snowed five feet the day after i got there and um yeah it was just uh, fun in the sun for three days in the the nugget because you couldn't go anywhere right right so yeah let's listen i got some bad news for you this is coming up um uh was it uh how do you say it um Arab, arabic coffee what oh arabic ever yeah 
yeah, uh, Arabic coffee set for the largest annual increase since 1994. So your coffee's going to get more expensive. And then this, this all popped up this week. Venezuela, the price of a cup of coffee rose 1,700% in 12 months in the local currency. So, so that might mean, that um, might mean you're going to have to sell your coffee at some time. I know this is going to be. No, that's not happening. I'll, I'll no, grow. I figured I'd start early. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing, JC. I've been talking to some roasters, local roasters and people who buy coffee beans. <clears throat> They're completely oblivious to this. They, they, they say, Oh, I have no problem with my supply. It's going all good. And they don't see the day where there's going to be any restrictions whatsoever. And just common sense tells me that we got a problem brewing here, pun intended. But yes. the people who are buying coffee beans don't see it yet. No, no. And. And I think that's just this classic issue with humans. Uh, it's like I, I came back and I, uh, from Latvia and I said, look, our supply chain is going to break. No, it never will happen. Can't do it. No, we're fine. This is America. Right. And, you know, and then you got the toilet paper wars. And, and, you know, and, and, and that's not even a necessity. That's a luxury. Toilet paper. And, and you know, the, uh, what, two-thirds of the world don't use it. And and so so you you look and you go what part of this can't they put together? We don't grow coffee beans in America. It gets transported. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. <clears throat> Although I told you I have a neighbor growing a banana tree. That's a really poor substitute. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm I'm not substituting bananas for coffee. But my thinking is that if he can grow a banana. He can grow a coffee plant. Right. I understand that. I was just worried you're going to go to banana smoothies for your for your morning startup uh a drink. Sorry. Don't bring that up. <laughs> Let, let's go back to pork bellies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because my sister has a smoothie shop and I was like, I, you know, if I'm driving through Hannibal, Missouri, I would never stop in this place. Now she's got me like hooked on them. Fortunately, they're 500 miles away, so it's not a real issue. But You can't argue with tasty, good, healthy food. I don't know that it's real healthy, though. Uh, Bananas are, like, off the charts and carbs. I'm not anti-carb, but, I mean, if you're minimizing your carbs, you can't go there. But So I offset it with extra protein and whey and peanut butter. Which has yeah. got percentage of sugar too. So yeah, I mean, it's just you just enjoy it. That's what you do, right? Which actually brings up that the, the subject you touched on. I think again with Andrew and and Jay was um, this whole uh, pyramid of healthy foods. Where did this food pyramid come from? Right, and that um, I'm very glad to see you guys promoted eggs as being healthy. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we got this cholesterol myth and part of what I've heard, I can't prove it. I looked for it. I couldn't prove it. But when, uh, LBJ was running, um, he went to the meat packing and the, the um, poultry industry to be funded, uh, for his election and they hesitated and they didn't get back to him and, and that he, um, he ended up going to the grain growers and they funded him his election. So he put into place 
this pyramid which stresses grains. I don't know if that's true or not, but he was a pretty devious person. Um, well, have you read the book, The Big Fat Surprise? No, I haven't. It, you, you're always giving me reading assignments. which I, I do. They end up right over there. Um, okay. But you need to read The Big Fat Surprise because Nina Teicholz, who for those that don't know, grew up in Berkeley, California. Her father's a professor at the University of California, Berkeley, not exactly a conservative bastion of information. And uh, she and her husband moved to Manhattan, New York, and she was a 27-year vegetarian. She was given, as an investigative journalist, she was given the, the article or the topic of find out why these fats are still consumed at an alarming rate. And through her research, it all started in 1977, actually with McGovern in Ansel Keys at the University of Minnesota. And so you're right. The concept was to promote grains. I don't think I can find a tie to LBJ, but because that's 10 years prior to mid seventies when it really started happening. But that's when we made the shift from real butter to uh, margarine. We, we, we started demonizing eggs and that entire history was all about promoting grains instead of animal products. And now, by the way, the trend is back the other way, but Nina's book a to Z. And by the way, today she will not let her kids leave the house without bacon and eggs for breakfast every morning because she did the research and she learned how important animal fats and proteins are and to your point there is not a better cost of unit of nutrient density than an egg and even eggs in a triple price scenario uh, at that price point from a unit of protein and the multitude of nutritional density that you get from an egg it can't be touched it's unbelievable Right. And that's why, you know, if you're really going to prep, you should get a, an incubator so that you can, uh, you can exponentially uh, raise chickens. But that leads into a very interesting quote I came across. I don't know who did this, but in the war between platitudes and physics, physics is undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, my goodness. That is great. Right. You don't have anybody to attribute it to, though? I I don't know where it came from. I just came across it. And, uh, but it has so much truth to it. You know, we're just. I think you better claim it. Nah, I have a lot to claim. (laughs) Right. So, so here's one that, um, I think is coming our way. A state of emergency was declared in, uh, uh, Kazakhstan. Um, that's one of the, um, former Soviet. The territories right the large in the largest city after fuel price riots and the internet was cut so let's understand how delicate this um this issue is with uh with europe i mean um with uh, energy and then again we get to europe has never paid so much for power uh as the core uh costs soar more than 200 percent. so along with everything else we seem to be having an energy crisis. So I want to back up a minute because you were there when this occurred. I actually have a handful of friends from North Dakota, maybe South Dakota, Montana, who, and I even had a dairy buddy in uh, Wisconsin 
John Vries, who, when that Soviet Union crashed, broke up, they were selling genetics and they were one operation actually created an operation in Russia, former Russia countries, Kazakhstan, I believe it was. I get my stands mixed up, but I think it was Kazakhstan where they, the, the opportunity was just huge and they were putting a tremendous amount of energy and focus on that. And it seems like it's fizzled in the last five years or so, but there was a tremendous push from U.S. interest to go and, and be a part of the resources that are there. What happened to that? Well, I, I, uh, that that's true. Um, actually, Bush Sr. Um, brought over uh, uh, delegations to uh, to Russia and other other areas um, to uh, create uh, let's say business links with the U.S. There's actually there's actually a phrase called um, legs of Bush. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, legs of Bush, which. Which actually, what happened was, I, I I think it was Purdue went over there and started to be able to market um, uh, chicken legs over in the Soviet Union or former Soviet Union after it just broke down. And and of course the the Soviets or former Soviets couldn't figure out. This might have been during Perestroika, that period right before it, uh, the Soviet Union collapsed. Couldn't figure out how the Americans could raise chickens and sell chicken legs under the cost that the, that the, um, the Soviets could raise them. All right. And, right. and so, so they, they actually called it uh, um, bush legs because Bush brought them over and they were chicken legs and they were cheaper to buy sent across the world. Well, it starts to explain the, um, um, our culture where if you look at uh, the Soviets priced all of the parts of the chicken the same, right? So let's say the legs mm-hmm. were uh, right. 10% of the, the, the cost of, the, uh, of a 10% of the chicken, they would charge that. Where for us, we know uh, uh, very rarely eat chicken legs and they're almost a byproduct of the um, chicken breast. So our producers, you know, our producers make their profit on the chicken breasts and, of course, then economics of scale. And they were able to basically uh, get rid of the legs for uh, under, you know, for cost and Mm -hmm. and send them over to Russia and make a profit. Uh, That's actually how you heard about um, hot wings also. Rural route. J.C. Cole, one segment left after this. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Lewis alongside JC Cole. We, uh, we went down that path of chicken legs so far. I feel the need to get, get you back on center. And that is the certified Piedmontese system of beef and tender beef, more tender than you'll ever get from a chicken leg because I haven't been walking like a leg has. That has nothing to do with the certified Piedmontese system. What has to do with it is the myostatin gene, two copies of myostatin gene, which allows for that muscle growth and development of fine fibers, which are very tender, easy to chew. But what we need is you, the Great Plains cattlemen, to be a part of the supply chain. We need more cattle into the system. We've been at 25,000 head, want to get to 50,000 head. 
And that's why it's upon you to be a part of the system. Get more details and find all of the contacts you need at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. It's a certified Piedmontese system working for the Great Plains Cattlemen. Uh, the whole story of chicken, I, I should spend, I should write a book about that because, you know, all of us grew up going to grandma's after church and she was frying chicken because chicken was such a, a luxury. Usually you wrung its neck during the week and then you'd fry it up on the weekend. And now every single gas station, you're tempted to buy a chicken wing. Mm-hmm. It's just a crazy evolutionary food story that really needs to be told in the right perspective. Right. And in this part of uh, New Jersey, which used to be farmland, right? Uh, New Jersey is the garden state. Um, of course, now I call it the condo state. But um, you can find these old chicken houses um, where the farmers had these long, skinny buildings where they right. raised chickens. Yeah, we have we we have the foundation for one of them on our our property. Um, the house apparently fell down before we uh, we bought the farm, um, but there there are a couple right down the road. Um, well, that whole evolution of the chicken business began post World War II in Pennsylvania. That's where it all started. So it makes sense to me that in the fifties, people in New Jersey farms in New Jersey would have had chicken barns. Yes. And, uh, one of, you know, I looked into it, um, you know, we're in a very dangerous uh, position because even for chickens, uh, there's, a we're doing economics of scale where, where these buildings will have 4 million chickens in them. And the, 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 they lay, what, 3.8 million or 3.6 million eggs a day. Right. Right. And, and the eggs aren't touched by human hand. They, they, they're completely processed where they're um, eventually put into egg cartons and sold. And that's like, I don't know, um, uh, 190,000 um, uh, uh, cartons of eggs. They are each viewed by a a human eye, though, for the candling purpose. Yeah. But the the real issue there, Trent, is if one case of bird flu gets in there or one case of Ebola or some other uh, real um, um, pandemic, Mm -hmm. that entire factory shuts shuts down. Right. We we don't have um, um, really any safety measures on food security. And of course, that's always been our issue. Who in this country is responsible for food security? Um, I, I'm going to, as a farming population, we should, we need to take care of that because it's been proven from generation after generation, the federal government is not going to be interested in food safety or national or food supply as a means of national security because that's really what it boils down to. And of course, in my world, in the farm world, Everybody quotes Al Gore on a regular basis because when he was campaigning for president, he blatantly said, we no longer need farms in the U.S. We can import our food cheaper. You know, I met him. (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 Some things you do in your life just don't need to be bragged about, J.C. No, no. It just gave me, uh, I mean, I lost a huge amount of confidence in the U.S. government at that point. Talk about it. Somebody with a personality of a rock. Or, or, 
Well, on the other side of the equation, I have personally shaken hands with two presidents. Do you know their names? Their names? Yes. Mm, that's interesting. <clears throat> I would think that one would have to be a Bush, <clears throat> one of the Bushes. And I, I don't know if you'd actually shake hands with a Democrat. <laughs> I know. Um, both yeah. of them were Bushes. Oh, okay. So you met Papa and, and, mm-hmm. and Baby Bush. I did. I met uh, George Bush Sr. at the Farm Progress Show. It was kind of a funny story because it would have been about – was. What year was uh, W campaigning? Because he was actually campaigning for George W. So it would have been 1999, huh? Yeah, about that. Yeah. And um, so I was uh, this young wetback whippersnapper. Green, greenhorn is the word I'm looking for, not a wetback. A greenhorn at the Farm Progress show. I knew some people, but I didn't know media people at the time. But I was wearing my, you know, my Bailey cowboy hat. George Bush and Susan Combs, who was George W. Bush's uh, Secretary of Agriculture, Commissioner of Agriculture for the state of Texas, they're walking through the media tent, and all these media folks are around with their cameras and their microphones and everything, and I'm just standing back watching because, you know, I'm not real assertive at that time. And all of a sudden, George Bush Sr. says, who's the guy in the hat? So he comes over to say hi. (laughs) And... And he signs my card for me. You got something I can sign? That's what he said. <laughs> so that's not the personality of a rock. And um, no, no. so that was my very first business card that I was doing radio with. And it was actually called Radio Agnet. I still have the card. Excellent. And then in 2000 and um, I don't know, 16, probably. Oh, no, September 21st, 2016, exactly. No, 2012. September 21st, 2012. It was a very memorable day for other reasons, not because George W. Bush came through our Wounded Warrior All-American Beef Battalion feed, and he was on a golf cart, and he came over and he said, who's the guy in the hat? <laughs> he wheeled his golf cart over to me. And would you believe, even though it had been 17 years, I reached in my billfold, I pulled out that card that his father had signed. And I said, well, you want to add to this collection? And his exact words were, give it to me. I'll make it worth something. And he, signs <laughs> below his, he signed his name below his father's name. So the only two Excellent. I've met are Bush and Bush. And I have a picture and a laminated copy of that card, which I don't know if that's something I should brag about either, but it was an interesting story. Well, yeah, now, but uh, yeah, I ended up, I met Clinton. Um, <laughs> it just gets from bad to worse for you. <laughs> no, no, I met Clinton in uh, 94 in Latvia. Oh. I, actually, I met, um, <clears throat> um, which uh, I got to say, he is charismatic. And um, oh, there's no doubt about that. And uh, so I've got a picture with him and the board of directors. I also met her. <laughs> yeah, that woman. Right. Which Are you sure? I, I just, I, just dumbfounds me because he's Mr. Charming and charismatic and she's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're, you're open-minded about it. You're subject to change. <laughs> right. I got a picture of me talking with her. Uh, and then... Uh, and then I met um, 
uh, George W. at um, a NATO meeting in Latvia. Oh yeah, and and uh, so I was, I I tried to keep a low profile, <laughs> which of course doesn't work. You know? Right, and they and the, the the embassy sat me in the first row. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't want to be here, <laughs> right? Because well, all the Latvians are looking at him, going, "See, look, he's sitting in the first row." <laughs> I know. So, there's something about this guy. That's me, right? I, I mean, so, JC, your whole role is bring economic development and business activity from the United States to Latvia. You you have to meet correct. the presidents. That's that's true. And then and then after uh, um, President Bush gives his speech, he he walks down to the crowd. In the first row, and he beelines it right to me, and, and, and I'm, I'm like, I, I'm playing with my camera, and I look up to see the president walking right to me, and he sh- sticks out his hand and says, "Hi, George Bush, nice to meet you." And you know, and then at that point, you know, everybody in the room is looking, and they're like, "Oh man, they're never going to believe this." Wait a minute, yeah. is there a picture of that? Um. There's not a picture of that because the camera was in my hand. But okay, so there's a picture of you talking to Hillary, but no picture of you talking to George W. This is problematic. That that that, that part's true. But in that same <laughs> in that same picture, I look. I'm, I'm I turn around. I have two generals, a three star and a one star, sitting behind me, and I'm like, oh, this is not looking good, you know. <laughs> and I look to the my right, and the second in the second row, there's. Zygmunt Brzezinski. And I'm like, oh, no. Nice. The man. Right. And, uh, you know, he's like number two to, or was number two to uh, Kissinger. You know, as far as world politics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. And this was the moment when Hillary was there, not George W. No, no, that was, that was, was, that was 1994 when Hillary was there. And then okay. uh, Zygmunt Brzezinski was there, and I think it was about um, 2000 and... So, um, during Bush's presidency. Uh, yes, during his Got presidency. It. Got it. Right. All right, well, we have one minute left. What do we need to know to prepare for the next week? Well, how about if we go back to, in the war between platitudes and physics, physics is undefeated. Right? So, <laughs> so it's gonna be hard to stay, top that. Stay, stay focused on physics. Stay focused on the science, the real science. Get ready because you know we've got uh, we've got a storm coming. It's here um, on energy and food and and uh, and of course the the control of our country. Yeah, and be prepared and know how to open your garage door. Without the electricity being on. That's the moral of the story. We've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America for yet another day. For J.C. Cole, I'm Trent Lewis, reminding you that all roads do lead to a rural route. And here we are once again today talking about loose tail stuff. Why do they call it swag? Somebody tell me why they call it swag. What I want to talk about is a loose tails cap, loose tails mugs. A loose tails cap is $20. Two loose tails mugs is $20. And we ship them. No, they're $20 a piece. They're $40 for two mugs. Get it right. But that includes shipping. So go to the website. Send me a note. Whatever it takes. Get a hold of me. Sam, I don't know that I took care of that 
uh, get a hold of me, Sam. I'm not sure where that's at. Anyway, details at loosetailsmedia.com. Loosetailsmedia.com. At least you can find my email and send me a note. We'd be glad to put you in a khaki. Loosetails cap. Do it today.